Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Mark chapter 4, if you will. We kind of opened up last night with this thought, and I'm going to kind of just hook on to what we talked about last night and and continue on with what I need to say to, to you today. But we said this to you, that there are five gifts that God has given to us. And we concluded that your relationship with these five gifts determine the quality of your Christian life. These five gifts are given to us by a loving Father. He gives us everything that we need in order for us to live a successful life upon this earth, from not only the spiritual standpoint, but from the natural standpoint. And we said this to you once again, that your interaction and your, and your um, fellowship with these five gifts um, really determines the quality of your Christian life. The first gift that we talked about is the gift of righteousness. It's the first thing that a believer receives the moment that he accepts Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. He has made the righteousness of God in him. It is the gift of God. And the more that we understand that gift and the more we walk in that gift, the quality of our life just, I tell you what, it just increases um, in every way, shape, or form. But we said this to you, that with every gift, every gift has a voice. And when their voice speaks, our response must always be think time. And we brought this to light last night. When your righteousness speaks, when, when your position begins to be declared to you and you begin to recognize who you are in Christ, that voice speaks and you are to give it some think time. You are not to treat it, if you will, with disrespect and just kind of slough off, if you will, what's being said by it, but you are to give it some think time, to, so much so that you're allowing that think process to move you over into obedience and compliance and yieldedness, if you will, to that righteousness. The next gift that we said to you that God's given to us is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has a voice. And when he speaks to us, and when he leads us, when he, uh, John 14 and John 16 talks about that he will teach you all things, he will guide you into all truth, he will show you things to come, and he'll remind you of things that is, that's been said. When the Spirit of God moves in your life in that way, we are to give what he says in think time. We're not to just slough it off, we're not to just, you know, let it get away from us. We are to capture it, and we are to give it some think time. Everybody say think time. The next gift that we talked about was the gift of the Word of God. The Word of God is a gift to us. And this Word of God gives us the best life lived. It's impossible to go anyplace else and find how to live life better than within the Word of God. You can't go to any marriage book. You can't go to any, any parenting book that can teach you how to live in those arenas better than the Word can. The Word of God teaches us how to live our life as, as it was designed but we're to give it some think time. We'll talk about that in a moment. We said this to you also. The, th the fourth gift that I found that God's given to us is ministry gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And those gifts are given to us for a purpose. To build up the body. To, to educate the body. To grow the body up. They, they, are, they, are, they are given for purpose. And any time that they, they minister to us, any time they speak to us, we, we are to not take lightly what's being said from their voice. But we are to give it some think time, if you will. And once again, the quality of your relationship with these, with these gifts 
talking about, once again, righteousness, Holy Spirit, word, ministry gifts, determines, once again, the quality of your Christian life. The fifth gift that I found that God's given to us is the gift of community. And you've displayed that gift here this morning in an incredible way to me personally as a visitor. Because I'm telling you right now, uh, we need one another in today's world. We really do. But I want to go, if you will, to Mark chapter 4 because we kind of sprung this in, if you will, to, to, um, to, to bring the foundation of this idea that with every gift that we have been given, we must give it some think time. We talked about the fact that in Mark chapter 4, and I want to begin reading, if you will, with verse 14. Mark chapter 4, in verse 14, it says these words. It says these words, The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside, verse 15, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, underline that phrase, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Verse 16, the second type of ground. And these are they which are likewise which are sown on stony ground. Who, underline it, when they have heard. Immediately they receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time afterward when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Third ground, verse 18, and these are they which are sown among thorns such as hear the word. Here's that phrase again, such as hear the word of God. Verse 19, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in and choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, here it is again, such as hear the word. That's important. And receive it, bring forth some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And so he said to you that anytime anybody ever reads these verses, you come down to verse 20 and you ask yourself the question, what determines the difference between a 30-fold return, a 60-fold return, and a 100-fold return? I mean, everybody's had that question. But what's the answer to that question? In verses 21 through 24, we're, we're given the answer to that question. Listen to what it says here. And is a candle, Jesus saith unto them, is a candle to be brought up underneath a, uh, a bushel or underneath a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall be manifest, neither was there anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, here's the answer to the question, what determines the difference between a 30-fold, 60-fold, or a 100-fold return from the word that has been sowed into your life? Verse 24, Jesus said these words. You pay attention to what you hear. You pay attention to what you hear. Every one of these grounds heard the word, but he says the key, the key to fruit is paying attention to what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. I love the amplified version in this particular verse. Listen to what it says here. He says, and, and, take, and pay attention to what you hear, the measure of thought and study that you give to the truth that you hear. Listen to this. The measure of thought and study that you give to the truth that you hear will be the, will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that will come back to you and more. I'll say that again. What is the key? It's, it's the measure of thought and study that you give to the truth that you hear. Can I put it to you this way, guys? If you give this amount of thought to what you have heard, it produces this amount of fruit. 
If you give it this amount of thought, it produces that, that amount of fruit. If you allow it to have this amount of think time in your life, it produces that amount of fruit. He says, he says, pay attention to what you hear. The measure of thought and study that you give to the truth that you hear. What that tells me is this, is the first response that we are to give anything that we are taught is we are to give it some think time. How many of you remember uh, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8? It says, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou should observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Listen to Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Listen to what it says here. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now why are we to meditate? That thou mayest observe to do. You know, I talk, because I talked about the fact last night that I've heard a lot of people teach on this, on this particular verse. And they, have, they seem to have come to the conclusion that the purpose of meditation is to get something in you. And that is not what Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 is saying. What he's saying is simply this. He's simply saying that, that the purpose of meditation is for the purpose of making sure that what's in you comes out of you through conduct. Comes out of you through behavior. Can I put it to you like this way, guys? He's simply saying that the meditation is the step between the hearing and the doing. It, because, if you, because if you don't ever think about what you have heard, you'll never do it. Thought always precedes action. You'll never find yourself doing something that you have first not thought about doing in the first place. Guys, you're never going to find yourself in Walmart pushing a cart. Just wake, what in the world am I doing here, you know? You're never going to have that happen. You're never going to find yourself up on a ladder, you know, 20 feet up in the air painting your house. What in the world? Last time I knew my, I was in my lazy boy. What am I doing up you, Thought always precedes action. Can I have an amen? So the thing about it is, is he's simply saying this, the first response the things that you have received from your righteousness, from the ministry gifts, from the Word of God, from the Holy Spirit, from community, is think time. Think time. So many of us, you know, keeping, keeping things around us until we do something about it. That's the importance of all this thing all about. But there is another action that must accompany think time. There's another response that must come to these five gifts that we've that we've talked about. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 5. Go, go there with me, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 5. I found this to be true, that the first response to these five gifts is we are to give it some think time. We are not to just be quick to hear and just slough it off and just ignore it and just kind of, you know, kind of depart, but we are to give it some think time to ask yourself the question, how can this make a difference in my life? How can I apply this thing to my life? What's going to be the benefits if I embrace this truth that's come my way? Giving it some think time. But there is another response that must be given to it. And that's found in 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to begin reading with verse 5. For me personally, these two messages on think time, and I'm going to bring into the subject of humility. I believe the second response that needs to occur in order for us to benefit from these five gifts sufficiently is for us to humble ourselves. You'll understand it in a moment. 
Look at what it says here in 1 John chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 5, it says these words. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. You be sober, you be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Peter tells us in verse 5 that we are to be clothed with humility. And he tells us that if you choose not to put on the clothes of humility, you're going to be found living in pride. And he actually gives us some information about our Heavenly Father as to what he will, how he will respond to, because this verse is written to believers. This, this, written, this verse is written to the church. And he tells us that if, that, that if you choose not to put on the clothes of humility and, and, and you remain in pride, the Bible says that the, 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 the Father God will actually resist you. You know, I got to thinking about that one day, and I thought to myself, wait, 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 wait. I got the devil resisting me. I got the world resisting me. I got my flesh resisting me. My mind at times even resists me. How many of you know, guys, we don't need God on that team? We don't need God on that team. But the Bible says he will actually resist you. He will actually resist you if you have failed to put on the clothes of humility. Now, what's interesting is simply this. So the question that we got to ask is, if you're humble and you know it, stand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that right there is the problem. Because, because you are not the first one that responded like that to that question. Because what's happened is this, guys. Think about this. Think about this. The world has said to us, if you ever say you're humble, you're not. You're actually in pride. You can't ever say you're humble. You can't ever admit that you're humble. Because if you're humble and you say it and you think you're humble and you actually talk about how humble you are, you're actually living in pride. What's happened is, is too much of the world's opinion about this Bible subject has slipped into the church. I found out this a long time ago. When the church thinks exactly like the world about a Bible subject, the church is always wrong. Always wrong. Anytime you get a Bible subject and you get clarity on that Bible subject, it will separate you from the way the world thinks about that subject compared to what God thinks about that subject. And there ought to be a gap between the way that we think about the subject of humility and the world thinks about the subject of humility. There ought to be, there ought to be a gap between us. But there's not. So much so that it gains the reason. And I'm not, I'm not banging on you for, for, for doing that reason. It's a normal response. Because we have, we have been so sold on the fact that if you ever admit, if you ever say that you are humble, you're not. And I want you to think about this. Peter actually said these words. He says, put on the clothes of humility. That gives, that gives personal responsibility to you and I. You and I have that responsibility. God is not the one that puts, puts on this clothes of humility on us. We do it ourselves. It's a responsibility given to us. Let's just go ahead and say that I get, go into the hotel room, you know, this morning, and I put this sweater on. But, um, but I can't tell you that I got this sweater on because if I got this sweater, if I tell you that I got this sweater on, I really don't have this sweater on. 
<laughs> Don't make me say that again. That's really hard. <laughs> but isn't that what the world is doing to us with the issue of humility? If you say you got it on, you don't really have it on. Well, then, well, then if, if I say I got this sweater on, I guess I don't have this sweater on. How foolish is that to you and I as believers? And yet we have, we have succumbed to their opinion about what this subject is all about. It's very clear here that Peter is actually encouraging you to put on the clothes of humility. And what that means is this, is that you have to be able to recognize it when you see it. If I, have to, if I have to put on the clothes of humility, that means I have been given the responsibility of going into my closet and, and, and opening the door and, and finding humility in there, take it off its hanger and put it on. In fact, I think you can know so well about and so much about humility that you can know when you got it on and when you got it off. Because it's not a one-time put on. It's a daily putting on. But the thing about it is, is here again, you got to be able to recognize it when you see it. So that means that we're going to have to know what this subject of humility is all about. And the Bible has a lot to say about the subject of humility, and it has a lot to say about the subject of pride. And so, 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 so with all that said, to me personally, the two responses that should always be in the mix of things, whether I'm talking about my righteousness when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit or the Word of God or my ministry gifts or community, is I need to be thinking about what's been said. And if I see it to be true and if I see it to be wise, then I am to put it on. And we'll talk about it as we go. Look at what it says here in 1 Peter chapter 5. Because in 1 Peter chapter 5, it's very clear here that I see four blessings that will come to people that put on the clothes of humility. Listen to what it says here. Chapter 5 and verse 5, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, number one, underline it, and giveth grace to the humble. God says that when you put on the clothes of humility, I will give you more grace. Now, I'm sure that pastors talked about the issue of grace. Grace is God's enablements, it's God's abilities. And God said, I will give you more enablements. I'll give you more grace. I'll give you more abilities. Come on, guys. He said, I, when you put on the clothes of humility, implying, implying that if you choose not to put on the clothes of humility, that grace gift, if you will, is going to be withheld. Because it's very clear here. He says very clearly, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Implying that if you're living in pride, you're not going to be given any grace. Number two, the second benefit that I see that's going to happen to you when you put on the clothes of humility is found in verse 6. Look at what it says here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, underline it, that he may exalt you in due time. Underline that phrase. Guys, this, this word exalt is an amazing word. It means to lift up. It means to raise up. Come on, guys. My heavenly Father said that if you will put on the clothes of humility, I will raise you up. I will lift you up. And I don't know about you, I get to thinking about this one day, and I thought to myself, you know, there's a lot of individuals that need to be lifted up and out of marriage problems. But the only way that that will ever occur is when they put on the clothes of humility first. A lot of individuals need to be lifted up and out of some teenage problems. But the only way that that will ever occur is if they will... Put on the clothes of humility first. 
Some need to be lifted up and out of depression. Some need to be lifted up out of anxiety and hopelessness. The only way that that can happen is, is when they put on the clothes of humility, God promises you that he will lift you up. He will raise you up. He promises that he'll do that. Do you need some financial lifting up? Put on the clothes of humility. Here again, it's a promise. He said, he said I'll not only give you more grace, but I'll lift you up. I'll exalt you in due time. Let's go keep reading. Verse, verse, verse 7. The third benefit that I see that will happen to people who put on the clothes of humility, that, and that is this. Casting all of your care upon him, underline it, for he careth for you. Guys, the, the third blessing that will come to people that put on the clothes of humility is he will touch you with the touch of his care. And if you've ever been touched by a touch of God's caring love, it's the most incredible thing you'll ever experience in your life. But it's only promised to people who have put on the clothes of humility. Listen, guys, these verses, even though they're written to New Testament saints, and even though they're written to born-again believers, probably spirit-filled believers, these, these benefits are, 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 are simply, uh, if you will, the, the benefits of putting on the clothes of humility. That's what we are to focus on. The grace comes automatically. Being exalted in due time comes automatically. Being touched with the touch of his care comes automatically to those who have put on the clothes of humility. But if you choose not to, you still remain in pride, then you're going to forfeit these gifts, these blessings that come, that's been promised to people that put on the clothes of humility. The last blessing that will come to people that put on the clothes of humility is found in verses, th verses 8 and 9. You be sober, you be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, Walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. What he's saying is simply this. When you put on the clothes of humility, God promises you that he will give you more grace. He will lift you up. He will touch you with the touch of his care. Listen, guys, and the, and the fourth blessing is simply this, that you'll have no trouble at all resisting the devil. You'll have no trouble at all resisting the devil. The devil's not going to be a problem for you. And you put on the clothes of humility. It's God's promise. Amen. So the thing about it is, as we as believers, we as believers have a duty to know what this is all about. We can no longer accept the world's definition of this issue of humility. We've got to go to the Bible. Find out what the Bible says. Go with me if you're to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Listen to what it says here. The Bible has a lot to say about this issue of pride. It has a lot to say about this issue of humility. And this subject can no longer be ignored by the church. It has to be addressed. Because it is a fundamental quality that we must all gather up to us in order for us to benefit from all that God has provided for us. Proverbs chapter 11 and I want to begin reading, if you will, with verse, with verse 2. Proverbs 11 in verse 2. Listen to what it says here. He says these words, When pride cometh, underline it, then cometh shame. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. What that says is simply this, guys. When you, op when you, step, on, when you step into pride and you're living in pride, it opens the door and invites shame to come into your life. Guys, Everything in our lives that we are ashamed of today, 
Brother Doug, I'm so, I'm so ashamed to even tell you that I, I was involved in blah, 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 blah. I'm so ashamed of that. That was led into your life through pride. Pride allowed that into your life. He says, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. It opens the door up to shame in your life. So if we're going to shut the door to things that we're ashamed of, we're going to have to be found putting on the clothes of humility on a regular basis when it comes to our righteousness, when it comes to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, ministry gifts, and community. We're going to have to put on the clothes of humility. Proverbs chapter 13, if you will. Proverbs 13. Something else said about pride. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Proverbs 13, verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised, if you've ever seen anyone in the middle of a heated argument, pride is always present. Arguments, contention, is all fueled by pride. It actually opens the door up to shame and allows shame to come into our... It actually opens the door up for quarreling, fighting with one another. It's because of pride is present. The only way to end a quarrel is for one person in that quarrel to put on the clothes of humility. The only way for it to ever happen. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, if you will. Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. It'll open the door up to shame. It'll open the door up to quarreling. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says these words. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goeth before destruction. It'll open the door up to destruction. I'll never forget, when I first saw this, uh, I was pastoring. And uh, I read that verse and pride goeth before destruction. That means then, things that are being destroyed, pride is fueling it. Pride is fueling it. And I thought about that, and I thought to myself, Jones, you're an idiot. Because here again, pastoring for so many years and working with people for now almost 45 years, I've come into contact with a lot of marriage conflicts and marriage difficulties. And I had always thought that when you see things being destroyed, that it was always the result of ignorance. The Bible talks about for you're destroyed for a lack of... So I thought that, that if a marriage is, is, is experiencing destruction, that it always had to be ignorance as the reason why. And so every time I would meet with someone whose marriage is being destroyed... I'd always try to feed them more knowledge and, and give them the truth and, 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 and teach them because, because they're ignorant. But then I read this verse. And when I read this verse, I thought to myself, listen to what it says here. It says, pride goeth before destruction. And I thought to myself, wait, wait, wait. There is another cause of marriage destruction. It might not be, come on guys, if it's ignorance, then they need to be taught. If it's, if it's pride, then they need to be encouraged to put on the clothes of humility. Come on. Up until this time, guys, I treated everybody the same. Well, you, you, you lack knowledge. 
You don't know how to function as a husband. You don't know how to function as a wife. So I'm going to give that knowledge to you. And so I'd always, I'd always feed them the truth about the husband's role, the truth about the wife's role, and I would try to, you know, I'd go after it from that, from that direction. But when I read this verse, the pride goeth before destruction, I thought to myself, I've got to change that. I, first of all, before I can begin ministering to that couple that's having difficulty, I need to go ahead and, and determine the cause of their difficulty. Do they know the truth but just live it in pride. Come on. When you realize there's two causes here, you can't treat everybody the same. You have to examine the foundation of that marriage to find out what's the cause of the destruction. And I hate to be redundant about this, but if it's a lack of knowledge, then they need to be taught. But if they've been taught and haven't been applying what they've been taught, and now they're living in pride then they need to be encouraged to put on the clothes of humility. Are you with me? We must identify it as it is. Proverbs, if you will, chapter 23. I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs 29. Pride opens the door up to shame. It opens the door up to quarreling. It opens the door up to destruction. Proverbs 29, verse 23 says these words. A man's pride shall bring him low. You know, guys, it appears to me shame, quarreling, destruction, being brought low. It gives me the impression when you put on the clothes of pride, you're on your way. You're not improving. You're not increasing. You're on your way down. Go with me if you go to Mark. Jesus has some things to say about this. Mark chapter 7. Very interesting things to say. Oh, I need to move along here. Time's getting away from me. Time goes by fast in this part of the country. Mark chapter 7. Really not much to get in the way of it as far as, I'm, you know, as, far as I've been able to see. <laughs> you got this little rim thing going on over here, but... But other than that, it's pure, clear. I told my wife, this is the flattest land. I, see, I grew up in Michigan, I, I, Ohio, you know, all my, all my relatives farmers, and so I know flat ground. But you got some flat ground around here, you know, so nothing can get in the way of, uh, shut up. Let's just go on. Okay. Mark, Mark, Mark chapter 7, if you will, and I want to begin reading with verse 20, Mark 7 and verse 20. Jesus has some things to say about this issue. Listen to what he says here. Mark chapter 7 and verse 20, he said, that which cometh out of the man. That defileth, underline it, defileth the man. He said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth. The word defile here means this, guys. It means to pollute. We have, and I don't know about you all up here, but we in Tulsa have a river that flows through the middle of Tulsa. It's called the Arkansas River. The Arkansas River is a polluted river. It is a polluted river. And so Jesus said, there are some things that come out of you that will pollute you. Now, you know as well as I do that the only reason why that that river, in, in Arkansas, that Arkansas River is polluted is because mankind has introduced ingredients in it that has caused that river to be less of a river than what God intended for it to be. Did you get that? What, what, kind of river, what kind of river did God intend that river to be? The kind of river that you could just take a huge 
and just without any fear at all about any toxins or any, or any chemicals getting in you. I mean, shoot, just quench your thirst without any problem. Catch as many fish out of it as you want to and eat all of them that you want to. They've got limits in Arkansas River. You can no longer, you, can, you, you wouldn't dare drink that water, much less even swim in it. It's a lot better than what it used to be, but it's still polluted. But mankind has allowed things and introduced things into that river that has caused that river to be less of a river than what God intended for it to be. Jesus said there are things that you can embrace that causes your life to be less of a life than what God intended for it to be. Listen to what he says here. He says, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, underline it, proceeds, proceeds evil thoughts. Evil thoughts, the failure to maintain your thought life can pollute your life. It can cause you to be less of a person than what God intended for you to be. Adultery, sex outside of your marriage union, you're fooling around with other and you're married. Fornication, sex among single people. It can also pollute your life. Murders, theft, stealing stuff can pollute your life. Covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye. Blasphemy, underline it, pride. Isn't it interesting that pride is listed in the same category as evil thoughts, adulterers, and on down through the list? Isn't that interesting? Pride will pollute your life. It'll cause you to be less of a person than what God intended for you to be. Less able to enjoy the fruits of your righteousness. Less, less able to enjoy the, the benefits of having the Holy Spirit live within you. Less able to, to benefit, if you will, from the Word of God, from the ministry gifts. Let's keep reading. Verse, verse 22. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these, underline it, all of these evil things. How many of you know, guys, there's a lot of things happening in the world today that are trying to convince us that some of these things are good things. Jesus called them evil things. Sorry, but I'm going to have to side with Jesus. All these evil things come from within, and they defile, there's that word defile again, and they pollute the man. They cause him to be less. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22. But on the other side of the coin, the Bible has much to say about, about humility. Proverbs chapter 22. It says these words. We are to put on the clothes of humility, and when we do, we'll be given more grace. We'll experience a touch of God's care. We'll be exalted in due time. We'll have no trouble at all resisting the devil. Proverbs chapter 22. Look at what it says here in verse Proverbs 22, verse 4 says these words, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. What's he saying here? When you step into humility and the fear of the Lord, it actually opens the door up to riches. It'll actually open the door up to honor. It'll actually open up the door to life enjoyed. It, it, it actually opens up a whole new world to us. Invites these things into our lives. So it's very clear here, that's a whole lot better than the, the destruction being brought low and on down through the line. Go with me, if you would, to Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. Jesus has some things to say about, about this issue of humility. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Verse 1. Thank God for, you know, the Word of God 
defines itself. The Word of God clarifies subjects for us. If we're doing just a little bit of stubborn, you know, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that people that, um, that, that labor in the Word, I tell you what, there's a labor that it takes to kind of unwind some of these things, to bring clarity to some of these issues. Look at what it says here in Matthew 18, verse 1. And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, in my 45 years of, of rubbing shoulders with students of the Bible, there's been some pretty stupid questions asked me. And you just want to shuck them off and just go on your way, because, are you serious, you know? Really? Really? And so when this question was asked Jesus, you know, it would almost look like Jesus would just shut, get out of here, you know, you don't even know what you're talking about. But apparently, there is such a thing as being great in the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus answers the question, listen to what he says here, Jesus called a little child unto him, set him in the midst of them, and said, verily I say unto you that except you be converted and become as a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever therefore shall, underline it, humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to point out a couple of things here, and we'll come back to this verse a little bit later on. Look at what it says here. Verse 1. And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, and they asked him a question. Who is the greatest. Guys, you do understand that that's asked from a humanistic standpoint. Because in a humanistic world, only one can become great. Only one can be the greatest Olympian. Only one can wear the green jacket on the golf course. Only one, come on guys. And so they're thinking out, this is, this is a, a one-person deal. But look at what Jesus says unto them. Jesus called a little child unto them, unto him, set him in the midst of them, and verily I say unto you, that except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, whosoever, underline it, whosoever, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest. Jesus turned a one-person position to a available to all. It's no longer just a one person is great in the kingdom. Oh, look at that one person. Man, Sean, he's the greatest of all the Christians. He's the greatest. There's no such thing. This greatness is available to all. And Jesus took, listen to me, Jesus took a little child and the word humility to show adults how to become great. I'm going to say that again. You'll understand this a little bit later on. Jesus took a little child and the word humility to show adults how to become great in the kingdom of heaven. We'll talk about it as we go. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Jesus also here again says some things about this issue of humility. Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse... Matthew 23, let's begin with verse, um, 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 verse 10. Well, verse 9. 
Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, underline it, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Raised up, lifted up, but you'll have to humble yourself in order to accomplish it first of all. We'll talk about it as we go. Go with me, if you will, to uh, James, James chapter 4. James 4. I want to read one verse first. James chapter 4. I want to read verse 10. And I want you to see something here about this issue of humility. Y'all doing okay this morning? Glory to God. Clarity and understanding. How do we apply it? How, how do we navigate this issue? I believe it should be the second response. We give think time to what's being said. Now it's kind of come time to humble ourselves. You, you'll understand it in a moment. Look at chapter, chapter 4 in verse 10. Love this verse. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. That's the same spirit as exalt you in due time. He will lift you up. But notice what it says here. He says, you are to humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. How many of you know, guys, you can be humble in the sight of men and not be humble in the sight of God? We are to be humble in the sight of God, not humble in the sight of men. That tells me this. There is a different definition of humility from God's viewpoint than from man's viewpoint. And we are to humble ourselves in the sight of God. So how do we do that? I'm going to be real honest with you about it. It took me a long time to find this. How do we become humble? What's all this about? Go with me, if you will, to James chapter 4. And I want to begin reading, if you will, with verse 6. Because in James 4, verse 6 and 7, he tells us how to put on the clothes of humility. Look at what it says here. He says these words. He says, but, verse 6, but he giveth more grace. That sounds exactly like 1 Peter chapter 5. He'll give you more grace. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth, here's that, here's that word again, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I don't know about you all, but I was always taught, when you got a therefore, find out why it's therefore. And therefore connects what's being said to what's been said. Let me paraphrase this Doug Jones style, all right? Verse 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Because he gives grace to the humble, then be quick about it and submit yourself, therefore, to God. I present this for your consideration. When you submit yourself to God, you are humble. When you submit yourself to God, you are humble. The first response that should be to the word, to the spirit, to ministry gifts, righteousness, community, should be think time. The next response, if it's found to be true, is our submission to it, our yieldingness to it. But you know as well as I do, the word submit has been a word that's been thrown around by a lot of different people. 
And you get a whole lot of it when you hear the word wives, submit yourselves to dear. And all of a sudden you get all these kind of pictures as to what's being said about that particular issue. But the thing about it is the word submit, I looked it up. Listen to this, guys. The word submit means to retire, to withdraw, hence to yield. Hmm. It means this. It means, it means to retire. It means to withdraw. It means to yield. The word submit means to retire, to withdraw, and to yield. Okay, don't like that? It means this. It means to retire from your way, to withdraw from your way, and yield to God's way. When you submit yourself to God, you're retiring from your way, you're withdrawing from your way, and you're yielding to God's way. Guys, that's humility. And God said, when you retire from your way, withdraw from your way, and yield to my way, I'll lift you up. I'll give you more grace. You'll experience the touch of my care. You'll have no trouble at all resisting the devil. In fact, everything that you have experienced in God, always humility has accompanied you and opened the door up for that to happen in your life. Because listen, guys, if humility is... Help me, retiring, withdrawing. Help me one more time. What? I call this a humility three-step. <laughs> now, guys, I grew up as soon as a God. As soon as a God, you're not allowed to dance. Uh, no dancing, no dancing, no dancing. So I did not grow up dancing. This is a dance the Lord taught me. It's, it's a I call it the humility three-step. You, you're going to retire... Come up here, Sean. Come here, Sean. Come here. No, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. Sit back down. Sit back down. Sit back down. I wouldn't do that to you. But listen, guys. If, if humility is, help me. Then pride is this. And God says, if you put this on, when I give you some instructions, you do this. Have you ever had a teenager do that to you with some instructions you've given to them? How many of you know, you let them live, <laughs> but you resist them when they want this. God said, I will resist you. He still, he still lets them live in the family. When my son started copping an attitude, about 17, 18, man, he copped some major attitude. Well, I'm sorry, I still let him live. I let him use my toilet paper. My electricity, <laughs> my refrigerator, my toilet, my faucet, my bathtub. I let, him, I let him use them. But when he came to me and asked for this right here, because you're in this posture toward me and not a, but you know as well as I do that when you give an instruction to a teenager and they do this, help me retire. Oh, honey, what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that right? Isn't that right? And so the thing about it is, is once I saw the humility, listen, guys, it took a retiring, a withdrawing, and a yielding for you to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. 
How many of you remember when you first started getting into services where they believed in speaking with other tongues and they gave these altar calls? If you want a hikimoshundai, if you want a hikimoshundai, well then come on up and raise your hand. And, and all of us kind of did, mm, not going to hikimoshundai. I'm not going to hikimoshundai. <laughs> not going to hikimoshundai. And so you resisted the altar call, didn't you? Yeah. But then all of a sudden, an altar call was given and you felt compelled. And you read. And you withdrew. And you yielded. And you asked for the Holy Spirit, and you started hikimoshundaiing, and now you can pray for things that you know not how to pray for as you ought. You can pray out mysteries. There was a day in time, I don't know when it happened with Sean, that God asked him, would you answer my call to the ministry? And I don't know if he resisted it. I don't know what the process was. A lot of individuals have received that call, and they've done this to it. Yeah, you don't realize what kind of an interruption this is going to be in my life, and i got a good life right now. First time that God talked to me about ministry, I told him no. No. I'm going to it. I was 21 years old. 20. I was 20 years old. August of 1974. It was the month before Ramah started. I picked up a little card. Go to Ramah. The first year, charter class. No. Not going to Ramah. I actually had something in my heart that said, go, and no, I got a great car, and I, I went on down to the list, great job, blah, blah, no. <laughs> Two weeks later, I heard it again, picked up that little card. I don't know why it's still there, but it was. The Lord said, go. I told my mom, I said, call and see if they'll still accept somebody. I'll be two weeks late. If I, and I had to, guys, in order for me to be where I'm at right now, I had to do. out there, and there's been some things about my marriage where I've had to take the Word of God and, and, and yield myself to the Word of God and do, I don't want to, she's being really mean to me, I don't really like <laughs> Matthew 18, need to wind this up, how could I be sure that my definition was the right definition, Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18, is this the right definition for humility? And I was taken back to Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. Let's read it again. And it came to pass, disciples came unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Son, what's your name? No, this one right here. What's your name, buddy? E what is it? What is it? Egan? DJ. 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 Would you come up here, DJ? Jesus was asked the question. Can you sit right there for me, DJ? Yeah, right there. Give me five. Oh, that's good. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. How old are you, DJ? Twelve. Twelve. I don't really believe that the child that Jesus brought up out of the crowd was 12 years old. It says that he was a child. It does say it was a boy, but it says he was a child. For me, a child, probably six, seven, eight, nine, 
not probably, but he's the youngest one I can find in the crowd, so I'm going to use him. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus set the child into the crowd, because in, in front, and all, all the crowd, all the crowd's looking at him. And with the child sitting in front of the, the adults, he said these words. Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Verily I say unto you that except you be converted and become as a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus took a little child and the word humility to help show adults the path to greatness. My question to you is this. How many of you know who DJ is? Got a few? How many of you do not know who this child is? I've never been in a congregation yet where the child that I had come up here where everyone knew who that child was. That tells me then the lesson that Jesus taught about humility in this child has nothing to do with his home life. Because if it had to do with his home life, the major part of the congregation would never get the point of the message. But it had to do within the sphere of the request and the response. I walked the aisle. What's your name, son? DJ, right? DJ, would you come? I don't know if he had a cup of coffee or what it was, but he, he set the coffee down. Isn't it true that how he got up here Yes. I've had children say no. I had one little boy come up to me, or one little boy hug his, hug his mom. Why is he picking on me? And he just said, they said, leave me, it's okay. And I found another child. DJ is up here because he humbled himself. He retired, he laid down, he laid down. Were you paying attention to me? Good job, DJ. <laughs> good job, good job. But he was, he was, he was kind of in his own little world. Kind of caught him by a little bit of a, by surprise when I, when I asked what his name was. But he still retired from, and he withdrew from, and yielded to my request. And the Bible says that when you do that, you're going to be blessed. Will $20 be all right? God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> he would have never gotten that $20 bill. Had he not, I've had kids tell me no. And so at the end of the service, I've actually stood at the door, shaking hands with people as they go out the door, and the child would come to me and ask, I've had it happen twice, can I have $20 too? <laughs> and with all due respect, I don't ever bash the child, but I don't ever say anything. I say, honey, no, I'm sorry. But I look their parents square in the eyes because those parents really realized that their child was that close to getting a $20 bill. Mm -hmm. But what he did with the request is this. 
rather than this. And guys, our marriages put on the clothes of humility. The health of your marriage, you're that close to it. But if you want to do this all day long with your spouse, or on the job, because the guy doesn't appreciate you, and so you work, you work kind of like, a, like slothfully, what would happen if you went ahead, I'm going to yield myself to the Word of God and work as unto the Lord and not as unto men? What would happen if I did that? I'm going to retire from my way because I really want to, I really want to just, slack, just slack off and just want to just kind of be a you know, slothful employee because I don't get appreciation like I deserve. I don't get respected like I should. But instead, you retire from your way, you withdraw from your way, and you yield to God's way, and you work as unto the Lord and not as unto men. And all of a sudden, the promotions come, the raises come, the favor comes. Why? Because you put on the clothes of humility. Now, the thing about it is this. we got to go. The thing about it is this. Every one of us in this room, it's not all or nothing. I wish it was, but it's not. Every one of us in this room has clothes put on of humility, areas where we have seen in the word, and we have. But every one of us in this room has areas in our life where we're still doing this. Come on. Come on. Yeah. People now smile on your brother. Everybody. <laughs> Are you all out there? This is never going to be an all-or-nothing deal. Well, I put those clothes on and humility on today, I'll never have to put them on ever again. I'm sorry, you're going to put them on every day of your life. <laughs> when pastor says, speak to your mountain, don't want to speak to my mountain. Well, then go ahead and do like this. But instead, why don't you walk in love, unconditional love. No, you don't really know what they've done. You know, really, the point of the matter is simply this. Our life... And the quality of our Christianity is based upon two things. How much think time do you give what has been hand-delivered to you through these gifts? And once you have got enough information about that issue through think time, then are you... Okay. I submit to you. And you'll see your life change. The close of humility... Now, what's, what's bad about it is this. We can see the pride, the pride clothes on others better than we can ourselves. But you've got to look at yourself. Isn't it interesting? I can't put the clothes of humility on Sean, and he can't put them on me. It's a responsibility given to you and I individually. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, we're told to, it's a personal responsibility that we've been given. And you know when you got them on and when you don't. And you know what areas you have, have them on and when you don't. And what areas you don't have them on. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.